Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, we're dealing with wisdom with money today, and money is a touchy subject. But you know, the Bible is not silent on any subject, and the Bible deals with money, and the Bible teaches us because it's a source of life. It teaches us on money. Remember, Jesus handled money, and he had a treasurer, the keeper of the bag, and looked after the whole team. So they must have had a reasonable amount of money. And money is extremely helpful. It would be impossible to live without it. Can you imagine us bartering instead of having money. Imagine going to the dentist and he does root canal on you. And then uh, when you stand up, you say, well, I make jackets. And then you offer to give him a whole row of jackets in exchange for your root canal. Now the dentist has to not only practice dentistry, but he's got to practice being a salesman so he can pay for his supplies, his bills, and look after his family. It's a medium of exchange. And what we do is we go to work and we exchange our time for money. We can't exchange our time at various places to get goods, so we give our time for money, and then we use the money to buy various goods and to pay for various services. And it's very telling what we use our money for, because that's where we are putting our time, in fact. And when you see what people own, you can say that's where their time has gone. So money is very important. You see, the big question is this. Do we, do we handle money, and do we master money, and do we use it like a tool, or does money master us? Because when it masters us, that's when we have serious problems. And the reason often that people don't have money is because money masters them and they immature with money. And so that's why they don't acquire wealth and don't increase in prosperity. Very interesting verse that Paul uses in Galatians in speaking about the new covenant, but it relates to money. And he says in Galatians 4, as long as an heir, that's someone who's going to get an inheritance, is under age, he is no different from a slave. So you can be an heir, but you can live like a slave. And he says, although he owns the whole estate, you see, it's his by right, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. You see, the problem is we're often immature, and the two things you seldom find together is wisdom and money. And God wants us to be extremely wise with our money because the Bible says a lot about wisdom and a lot about money in the same verses. Notice this in Ecclesiastes, how the Bible emphasizes money. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, a feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Now, it's not saying it replaces God, but it really helps make life better. In Proverbs chapter 21, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So wise people accumulate money and manage it well, but fools, those unwise, spend all they get. Now you might say, oh, well, I earn so little. You've still got to manage the little you get. Otherwise, you'll never, ever be successful in life. Now, I read a fascinating story in 1901. 63-year-old Annie Taylor went over Niagara Falls. In fact, she was the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. That was airtight, compressed air to 30 PSI. And after a couple of bumps and, and, and bruises, she came out pretty much unscathed. And she thought her stunt would bring her fame and fortune because she was just a school teacher. Well, she achieved a certain amount of fame, but she never achieved fortune. In fact, she died in dire poverty. And when I read that story, I realized people are still taking barrel rides over the falls with credit cards and with debt, hoping that somehow they're gonna get out of it 
but they never do and they can end up living their lives, their entire lives in poverty. So we really need to know how to have wisdom with money. I'm gonna give you eight ways today. We're gonna spend a bit of time on number one. I'll do it as quick as possible and then we'll look at the other simple ways today on how we can have wisdom with money. So number one, the first thing we need to do with money is we need to understand it. Many people don't understand money. They've got a wrong perception of money, a wrong understanding of money, not a biblical understanding of money. Robert Kiyosaki, the great author who speaks on finance, so rich dad, poor dad, he said, why doesn't school teach us about money? They want you to put your head down and get a job and make the rich richer. Problem is, there aren't any jobs. And you know, he said this 10 years ago, and people are still waiting for government to give them jobs. No, 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 we've got to understand, we've got to learn about finance. When I went into business when I was quite young, I quickly learned how to manage money. It wasn't taught to me at school. But when you're in business, you quickly realize, if I don't learn how to manage money, I'm going to go bankrupt and I'm going to have serious problems. And so I had a quick education in financial management when I was still quite young and we have to get rid of the wrong ideas and we have to read up about money but firstly we have to go to the bible and see what the bible says about money because one of the chief things that people get wrong is they say money is evil now reading here in ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 11 it says wisdom is even better when you have money and it says both are a benefit as you go through life wisdom and money can get you almost anything but only wisdom can save your life. So you need wisdom before money, but then when you've got money, you need wisdom and money. And Norman Vincent Peale put it like this. He said, empty pockets never held anyone back, only empty heads. So our understanding about things is extremely important. And we must know that money is a powerful thing. It's a tool, not a curse, and it's not inherently evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith so you can fall away as a Christian. And it says, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, why in South Africa are we having so many problems from government down, such a lot of corruption? Simple thing, love of money. And when you love money, it's like when you love someone, you'll do anything to get it. Have you seen people in love? People in love do all sorts of things. Lie, cheat, sneak out, don't tell their parents I'm sleeping over here. People in love are crazy. They deceive their married partners. And people who have love of money operate in exactly the same way. And a love of money is something we must understand and assess in ourselves and others so we know how to deal with it. In fact, there's six things I want you to tick them off today that show whether you have a love of money or not. Because all of us need money, need to have money, we need to earn money, and it's not wrong to have money, but a love of money is the big problem. And when you're in love, that's when you do crazy things. So the first thing about the love of money that shows up is greed. Greed is manifest when we have a love of money. The intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. We always think of people that are greedy in the area of food, but it's wealth, power, or food, and it's an intense desire. Proverbs 15, the greedy bring ruin to their households, to a nation too, but the one who hates bribes will live. Can you see, if you take a bribe, actually it says you've got a love of money and you're actually greedy. This is not just a party problem or an attitude problem. This is a sin problem because we don't understand money. Luke chapter 11, 
Jesus speaking to the religious people, the Jews, in fact, the Pharisees, and he says this, then the Lord said to them, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. In other words, you can look respectable, even be religious, and have a love of money. This thing is not just in politics. This thing occurs everywhere. It occurs in churches. Often there are pastors who are greedy, who have a love of money, and it's manifest in that they want to sell their books, not because they want to help people, they want speaking engagements, not because they want to travel around and spread the gospel, but they want opportunities to increase their personal wealth, and it shows in their attitude. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 says here that a leader cannot be bound by money. In fact, it's a quality for Christian leadership. And he says here, a leader must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. Now, it doesn't say a leader shouldn't have money. He shouldn't love money because then it will lead to all sorts of wrong motives and he will use the church instead of helping the church and building into the church. This occurs in business, it occurs in the church, and it occurs in politics. Number two, the second thing that shows up as a love of money is a lack of faith. When you love money, you don't trust God, you trust in your money. And Job here speaks about us trusting in money, Job chapter 31. And he says, if I had put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security, then these would also be sins to be judged. Serious thing. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. You see, if you put your trust in money, then you start to not put your trust in God. That's why you can't serve God and money. You've got to trust God. And we've got to have faith. And that doesn't mean we don't work and we don't produce wealth and we don't seek to grow our financial portfolio. No, we do that, but we're not chasing money and are bound by money and putting our trust in money. You can see what happens when people lose their wealth in recessions. And that happens frequently. People end up completely destroyed, even commit suicide. Our trust must be in God. Number three, the third thing is jealousy and envy. When you have a love of money, you are jealous and envious of those who are successful. And we see that happening across the world today. People are attacking people who are doing well and suspecting their motives. And you know, when Jacob worked for Laban, his father-in-law, Jacob uh, was attacked by Laban's sons who accused him. They were jealous of him and envious of him and they accused him of falsehood. Notice the scripture in Genesis chapter 31. It says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, in other words, they were gossiping, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. He was just an employee. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. You see, these are unfair accusations because Jacob worked under very unfair circumstances. Jacob wasn't working in an ideal job, but he made the best of it and he worked in partnership with God and God prospered him. But their envy came out of their love for money and it even changed Laban's attitude. It says here in Genesis 31, you know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. Talk about not being in ideal circumstances. You see, people don't look at how you've earned your money. The love of money will make people envious and jealous and you just have to brace yourself and keep going. I love what Dave Ramsey says in his book, More Than Enough. He's a speaker and teacher on finance. He says, whining is a sign of a lack of character on your part. In other words, if you keep whining about what others have got and whining about the prosperity of others, it shows a love of money and it shows a lack 
of character. And can I say this? If you resent people who are successful and prosper and are going ahead, how can you expect yourself to achieve what you're resenting? It's just not possible. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing that happens is a sign of a love of money is a lack of fulfillment. People who have a love of money are never happy with what they earn. It's never ever enough. And you can have a salary that goes up and up and up, but you're never satisfied. Why? Because you love money. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us this. It says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Sometimes we think if we just had a little bit more money, we'd be really happy. But that's not true. Because if you've ever looked at rich people, they're never ever happy with what they've got. And when I travel, I often get upgraded. And in London, you don't go to the first class lounge. You go to what's called the Concord Lounge. That's one above. That's the true first class lounge. And you know what I noticed when I sit there? People are extremely unhappy. Because no matter how much money you've got, if you love money, you'll never have enough. And uh, it's, it's Solomon saying it's not, it's not about having money. It's about you'll never ever be satisfied by money. Number five, the fifth thing that shows where there's a love of money, and we must understand this and recognize it in ourselves, is it destroys our integrity. It's interesting that in Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus rose from the dead miraculously and was resurrected, that the chief priests and the scribes went to the soldiers and said, we want you to lie and say his body was stolen away. But then it says they gave them a large sum of money. And it says they took the money and that that message has been spread widely to this day. That's what Matthew says. You see how easy it is to pervert people's integrity with money, but there has to be a love of money in them first, then you can get it right. And then lastly, the last thing that we need to understand about the love of money is this, it can make people violent. It's amazing how when people love money, they become violent. That's why protests on the street, where people go out and they protest for high wages, those strikes always turn violent because at the root of it is a dissatisfaction. But more than that, often a love of money. Notice in Acts chapter 16, scriptures speak about these things. They're very simple to understand in our daily life. And uh, Paul uh, prayed for a woman. She was a slave woman that told people's fortune. And the scripture says when the demon had gone, her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. See, when they lost out, they became violent. Now it goes on to say that when they were put in prison, they were flogged and their feet were put in stocks. The minute people's income is threatened and there's a love of money, man, they become violent. We even read in Luke's gospel when John the Baptist is preaching and the soldiers come to John and they say, what should we do? Notice what advice he gives them. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. They came to be baptized and you know what he's saying to them? You need to get rid of the love of money and don't extract money from people with violence. And then you begin to open the door for salvation in your life when Jesus comes. So we must understand money and we've got to understand how the love of money gets a grip on people and that's where all the problems start. So now number two, first we understand it. Number two, we need to make it. Wisdom with money, you need to make it. Money's not given to you, you have to make it. That's why God put you on the earth and you need to work and earn it honestly and don't expect others to give it to you. 
Ask God to guide you and to give you wisdom in making it. You'll notice in Luke chapter five, when Jesus met with the disciples on the beach and they were fishing, he showed them where to find a huge catch of fish. So God is on your side and he wants you to meet your needs and your family's needs and be a contributor to society. He wants to give you wisdom as to where to look. It's a partnership with God. It's not just us working with our own strength and our own brilliance, but it's a partnership with God. And we're reminded of that in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter eight, it says this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. In other words, my work ethic. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So the Jews were promised wealth and we're the seed of Abraham, so we can expect this blessing. And so you need to go out there and make it because it's part of your reason for being alive to work and to produce. Number three, the third thing we can do that brings wisdom with money is expect it. So understand it, make it, but expect it. A lot of people have a negativity about money. They don't expect it. We need to believe for it and expect it that it can come into our lives and it's a matter of faith. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse four. No matter how much a lazy person may want something, he will never get it. A hard worker will get everything he wants. You see, we need to expect it. And uh, you can't be lazy and expect it. You've got to make it, but then there's got to be a faith. God will give it to me. He will look after me. And as I perform and give my best, money will come to me because money is actually certificates of performance. That's really what they are. Like a certificate you get on the wall when you've achieved something, you've gone to a college or you've gone to university, you've got a degree. Money is certificates showing that you please someone and they have paid you, you've pleased a boss, you've pleased a customer. And so let's expect money, but we first have to make it. So understand it, make it, expect it. Number four, manage it. You see, you can expect it, you can understand it, but if you don't manage it, it'll just slip through your hands. And this is an area where people struggle. We need to look after it, count it, keep track of it, and look at what's draining away our money. Look at your bank statement, check the fees. Is, is there an app that I maybe clicked on that's now draining my income? You know, recently I noticed a damp patch on the wall upstairs going from my kitchen down to the garage. And then in our domestic worker's room, we noticed there's a big patch on the wall and I couldn't figure out what it was. So I got a contractor in and he began to look at the wall and he said, yeah, there's a leak in the wall. A pipe in the wall's got a little hole in it and it's been leaking. So he chopped the wall open. We thought it may have been a joint. Actually, it was a pipe that was faulty and water had been leaking into that wall for years, not just months, years, and it had actually increased our water bill. And I realized there are a lot of hidden things like that in the area of finance that just drip, drip, drip away, but actually it affects your finances. And so we must know how to manage our money and keep track of it and be careful with it. And uh, I'm gonna give you a couple of things quickly on how to manage your money. Number one, make a budget. A budget is like the train rails. It guides you and it tells you what you can and can't spend. A budget's also a theological document because it shows what you worship, what you, what you care about and, and where you put your money. So a budget is extremely important and we need to prioritize how we spend our money. We shouldn't just spend it emotionally because if you spend it emotionally, you are going to get into trouble and uh, we need to know where our money is going, not wonder where it went. And a lot of people are shocked when they run out of money and they're in debt. People are often shocked when they go bankrupt. Now, how did this happen? And uh, Ernest Hemingway, the author, in his book, The Sun Also Rises, he relates a conversation, just a short conversation, and he says, uh, someone asks, how did you go bankrupt, Bill asked. 
two ways, Mike said, first gradually, then suddenly. And isn't that how money slips through our fingers when we don't have a budget? First gradually we notice and then suddenly, man, there's nothing and we're deeply in debt. And so we need to set a budget. That's, the, the word budget's interesting. You set a budget and then you don't budge. You stick to it and it helps you. Leslie Tain wrote a book called Life and Debt. And she said, budgeting has only one rule. Do not go over budget. And the truth is you can set a budget. It, it tells you what you should and shouldn't do, but it doesn't stop you. It's up to you to rule yourself. And the simplest solution to get out of debt is to spend less. The second thing in managing money is save some. We really need to save money. And uh, we've noticed, especially since COVID has struck this year, how unstable the times are. People who've got money saved have got through COVID a lot easier because money is a shelter, the Bible says. And when you've got no margins and you have nothing saved, well, then there's no room for emergencies. There's no room for hard times. There's no room for fluctuation of interest rates or for recessions. And Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon gives us wisdom here. He says, wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. So what he's saying is you need to save money because times are gonna to be tough and God has made good times and bad times. I want just to remind you about this because a lot of people say, what's happening in our world? Is this the devil? No, God makes good times and he makes bad times. It's part of the way he's allowed the earth to continue until he brings the close of the age. Let me remind you of the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph. God gives Joseph dreams twice in different ways, pointing to a famine in Egypt. And he says, you need to store up for seven years because he's coming seven years of famine. And so they built these huge granaries. You can go to Egypt and have a look at them. You know, people think the story of Joseph is a fairy tale. No, they have these huge granaries where they stored all the grain. God gave the dream and he gave it twice because he knew the famine was coming, but he didn't prevent the famine. He expected them to save and to put aside and to manage their resources so that they would get through the famine. And we have to do exactly the same today. It's not a lack of faith. It's not living uh, without trusting God. You have to plan. And one of the ways you manage money is you set a budget, but then you have to save some and you have to have a bit of extra. Let me remind you that the, the children of Israel ended up in slavery. The main reason is because they had to sell themselves because they had nothing saved during a time of famine. And that's what can happen to us when we don't save. We can end up becoming slaves to debt and we can really, really take strain. And COVID has shown us how life can strike at any moment and we've got to be prepared. And our church has money saved. We, we were prepared for this, so it didn't hit us as hard. Personally, we had some reserves as a couple. And so when COVID struck, we were able to get through it and we didn't panic. We knew, well, we can get through this thing because we've managed our money wisely. You see, a lot of us want to spend all we've got today, but we've got to be careful. We've got to think about tomorrow. And I think one of the biggest challenges is, we, in, especially in large cities where there's lots of crime and we spend a lot of time at home, people spend money as a form of entertainment. Shopping is not going to buy necessities. It's a way of entertaining ourselves, but we've got to guard our hearts and we must save because life will be easier on us 
And I want to recommend a book to you that you should read called Wealth Secrets from the Bible by Jonathan Garachi. And this book will give you some tips and advice for saving and investing. Try and take some time to read it because it'll really help you. We don't have time in the message today. Point number C, the third thing here about managing money is avoid oversized loans. People take out loans that are so on the edge that they actually can't afford to pay them. Now, the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't loan money, but it says we shouldn't be in debt. In other words, we shouldn't lend and not have the ability to pay it back. And people take out oversized loans and they end up in massive problems. And then they struggle emotionally, physically. They end up worried and full of fear, have to tell lies. And we've got to be careful because we're constantly getting bombarded. Uh, many of you would have got on SMS during COVID. I, I got these text messages all the time. You've inherited X amount. I wonder how many people fell for that bait. And then we get offered loans, you know. Uh, go on the holiday of your dreams. And we get offered all sorts of things and uh, uh, gambling and you know, free chips. Let's watch out for these kind of things because we can make commitments and end up in serious trouble. Never, ever take a short-term loan to go on a holiday, 150 or 200,000, and you go away for 14 days, but then you come back and you've got to pay it off for three years. It's not wisdom. We've got to think about how we can manage the loan and ask ourselves, if trouble comes, can we still manage this or is this a big oversized loan? Larry Burkett, who speaks a lot on business and has written a number of books, has written a book called Business by the Book, speaking of the Bible. And he says this, credit is like an opiate because it seems to numb the minds of those who use it. Just imagine this. What would my life be like if I didn't have a loan to pay every month? I think you'd be a lot freer than be burdened down. And a lot of the things we buy, we don't really need. And they put burdens on our lives. You know, church, the less we owe, the happier we will be and the less stress on our families. I was reading about this vice president at Google. She's a, a vice president of search products. And uh, in 2012, she worked with Google, Marissa Mayer. And she said that credit card companies can predict with 98% accuracy two years in advance when a couple is going to divorce based on the couple's spending patterns. So credit card companies are tracking what you're spending on and they can see when your marriage is going to come to an end. But a lot of people don't see the warning signs. They take out big loans. They haven't saved. They haven't managed money. They haven't made a budget. And then they end up with untold hurt when the Bible gives us advice about all these things. So we must manage money. Understand it. Make it. Expect it. Manage it. Number five, multiply it. Money is like seed. It has in it the inherent ability to multiply and we must multiply our money. We've got to save and we should also invest. Putting your money into things that grow. When you put your money into assets that appreciate, that's when your money grows, like a house. You put your money into a house, the house grows in value. Put it into a car, it depreciates. And so you need to learn how to multiply your money. You know, during COVID, people have realized that their cars are not assets, they're actually liabilities and they're draining them of money. Let me just give you this bit of advice today. If you buy a car and you're paying 20,000 Rand a month on the repayment, that's not all you're paying for that car. Take that payment and divide it by 20 days because that's really how many days you're using it. You're driving it around for 20 days, especially under lockdown. 
That's a thousand rand a day. If you add servicing and petrol and insurance, it works out to another thousand rand a day. So that car's actually costing you 40,000 rand a month and it's not retaining its value. If you bought it at 300,000, the minute you drove it out the showroom, it's 240,000. And then another year later, it's 200,000. So it's not, you're not multiplying your money when you're buying cars. It's better to buy a second-hand car and then to invest in something to make your money grow. And money grows with time, and we need patience, but we must make our money grow. Proverbs chapter 13 gives us this advice. It says, some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. You've got to ask yourself, do I want to pretend to be rich? Do I want to have flashy clothes and flashy things, expensive handbags, expensive jeans? People buy jeans for 8,000 rand. And, 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 you know, is that important? Or could you put that 8,000 rand into investment that could grow and multiply? Robert Kiyosaki's father, his rich dad, gave him some advice on how to get rich and stay rich. And he said this. He said, you must learn the difference between an asset and a liability and buy assets. And you know what an asset does? An asset puts money into your life, but a liability takes money out. And that's why it's the best thing to do is to keep investing, putting money into your bond. And if you haven't been saving or investing, try and start right now. Rick Edelman wrote a book called The Truth About Money. And uh, he talks about investing and he says people don't invest because when they, when they look at the stock market, they see it's like a boy with a yo-yo. Oh, it goes up. Oh, then it goes down. Stock prices rise and then they drop. He says, but you mustn't look too closely at the boy with a yo-yo. You need to look at the big picture and you'll notice that while the stock price goes up and down, the boy is actually still overall climbing up a hill. And so you must invest long-term with patience and then your money will multiply and in the end, you will be glad. You know, they say, uh, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 25 years ago. But if you, if you didn't do it 25 years ago, well, the best time to do it is now. So I'd encourage you, if you didn't invest years ago, start investing now. Number six, wisdom with money, the sixth thing. We've got to understand it. We've got to make it. We've got to multiply it. We've got to expect it. But number six, we've got to give it. You see, when you give money, that's also a way it multiplies. When you give money, it's amazing how money comes to you. Think of this. Shops that offer and restaurants that offer free Wi-Fi, they get customers. Why? Because they give something away to get something. And it's the same with finance. And we need to have our hearts converted because what tends to happen is we tend to hold on to our money and God's got to wrestle it from us. Martin Luther famously said there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, which we all know about. The conversion of the mind, we need renewing of the mind. But then he says the conversion of the purse or the wallet, if you like. And that's often the last conversion. In fact, Spurgeon added by saying this, he said with some Christians, the last part of their nature that never gets sanctified is their pockets. We need to become people that understand that giving is part of God's plan and that it's good for us and that it actually multiplies our money. And we can't just hoard money because then that shows a love of money. We also need to be able to give money. And when you give, that's when you get. Let me remind you of Luke chapter six, a very simple principle. And some have said this has got nothing to do with money. No, it's very clearly to do with money. Luke chapter six and verse 38, give and you will receive. Now, I know before it, it says forgive, and it also says don't judge and you won't be judged, but here it's talking about finance, and it goes on to say your gift 
See, not your forgiveness, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And so you've really, really got to understand that giving is extremely important. In fact, giving doesn't just come back to you in finance, it comes back to you emotionally. Notice this, this is a verse we use often from the book of Proverbs chapter 11. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now you say, well, oh yeah, if you give, you're gonna get. No, it's talking about something more. It's talking about emotional refreshment. And I was recently reading that people who give are actually healthier than people who don't give. Because you actually, when you give, something happens to you emotionally, not just financially. When you're thinking about money and wisdom with money, giving has to be a part of what you do. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 13. Notice the warning here. Solomon says, there is a grievous evil which I've seen under the sun, namely riches kept by the owner thereof to his hurt. So when you don't give, you actually harm yourself. Let me take it a bit further. In a book called God and Money by two authors, they say here, and they've done research on this, they say a lack of giving is bad for you. Those who do not regularly give have found to harbor higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which has a linkage to everything from headaches to stroke to depression. What other areas suffer when we live ungenerously? How about pain management, body temperature regulation, blood pressure, and the control of fear? Living self-indulged and self-absorbed lives is literally killing us in the affluent West. Research has shown this. And so giving is extremely important. And uh, the more we hold on to our money, the less we will have. And you'll, I, I believe that people who have given during this COVID season, people who have been faithful in their giving, they're going to see a great return flow in their lives and they're going to be better off when they come through COVID, healthier and stronger because giving plays a very important part in our lives because money is such a prime area of our lives. Number seven, I need to go quickly, but I want to help you here. Wisdom with money, this is so important. Don't steal it. We've got to understand it, we've got to make it, we've got to expect it, we've got to multiply it, but we mustn't steal it. And the problem with stealing is we steal from men and we steal from God. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, it tells us those who've been stealing should steal no longer. And they must work doing something, it says, something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So you must always be doing something because it's unhealthy not to be working. Even if you're not earning a lot, you're not getting the package, but you're doing something so that you have something because otherwise you'll end up stealing. And people who steal want money without working for it. And the Bible says that that is not God's plan. And when you live like that, you will always bring trouble into your life. And then secondly here, don't steal from man, don't steal from God. And you know, if you go back and you study the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see Eli, the high priest, and his sons, who took the offerings and made it all about them instead about God. And the Lord was unhappy with them and said to them, those who honor me, I'll honor, but those who dishonor me, I will dishonor. And very shortly after that, we find Eli and his sons being killed and destroyed by God because they took the Lord's offerings and actually stole from God instead of serving God. 
the Lord. You know, it's a sad fact that if you study the American church, and that's where we get most of our statistics from, 30% of the average American church carry 80% of the church's load. They pay the bills. It's only 30% of people that are giving to God. The rest are not giving God their tithes and their offerings. They're living all for themselves, their cars, their homes, their clothing, their standard of living, their holidays. And actually, it's like robbing God. That's why God was so angry with Eli and his sons. If we go to the book of Malachi, we read there that people actually steal from God when they don't give God the tithe. And it's a serious matter. And it says here in Malachi chapter 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Notice how many times it's talking about robbery and stealing. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Because they didn't know. In tithes, and offerings, not just in tithes, because the tithe is God's, but in offerings, just like Eli and his sons. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I want to encourage you to be a giver and a tither and give offerings. Don't disempower your church. Empower your church. It's God's change agency on the earth, and God needs your money, and when you honor him, he'll honor you too. Let's not steal. Stealing has become the norm across the world, but let's honor God and let's not steal from our employers and let's not steal from God. Number eight, as I come to a close today, this is so important when it comes to wisdom with money. Don't put your faith in it. People put their faith in money and when they lose money, their world falls apart. We need to have money, but put our faith in God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we get some great advice from the Apostle Paul written to the church. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. You've seen what's happened to our economy across the world. Their trust should be in God. So it doesn't say they shouldn't have money, but they shouldn't trust in their money. They should trust in God. And he says, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. So money's a tool. And he says they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. It's not just about you. Always being ready to share with others. Thank God for Rivers Church, generous people, and a church that's always ready to share and feed and help. And he goes on to say, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. When you give and you share and you handle money correctly and you serve the purposes of God with it and you don't rob God, you're actually sending it on ahead into eternity into a heavenly bank account. You know, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of the parable that Jesus told of the rich fool. In Luke chapter 12, this man had barns. He was industrious. He was a farmer, entrepreneur. And he noticed how he was doing so well and things were multiplying. And he spoke to his soul and he spoke to himself and he said, you know what, I've got so much. I can take it easy. I can go into early retirement. I'm going to chill. I'm going to build more barns and I'm going to sit back and man, life's going to be great. And the Bible says that the Lord said this, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who will get all that you have. And so the problem is not having bonds or being industrious. It's about not taking God into account. And in this book, God and Money, I quoted it earlier, they do the parable of the rich fool in modern day language. And I think it's really quite appropriate as we close today for us to consider this. So let me read it to you and then we'll come to a close. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, 
tell my boss to pay the full year-end performance bonus he promised me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the stock options belonging to a manager vested after a major run up in share price. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I already have enough saved to send my kids to university. My house is paid off and I already max out my pension fund every year. And he said, I'll do this. I'll open an investment account and create a passive income portfolio and I'll exercise my options and put the money there. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have a big enough portfolio to be financially independent. Retire early, plan some vacations, play golf. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the portfolio you've built, what use will it be then? So is the one who endlessly builds his net worth and is not rich towards God. See, what he's saying is it's not wrong to be industrious and to make money, but you've got to take God into account because no one knows the length of their life. Only, the only thing we can attend to is the quality of our lives, but you can't tell the length of your life and we have to make sure that in managing our money, God is a part of it and we don't just live for ourselves because then the love of money gets a, gets a grip on us, but we live as a giver and we live not robbing God and not robbing others and then we can enjoy wealth and blessing and God is pleased. But you know, in order to have that experience, we need a changed heart. The great Scottish preacher, Murray McShane said this. He said, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. And today as we close, I wanna to speak to you about that because we can't have a right attitude to money unless we've been converted, unless we've been, as Jesus says, born again. We can have a new thinking, but we need a new heart and we need a new approach to money. And then we don't worship money. Money isn't our God. We're not our God, but God is our God. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 